Good morning, and welcome to On Target, a radio ministry of Village Bible Church in Hot Springs Village. We are located near the Coronado Center at 100 Ponderosa Way. Our Sunday morning service starts at 9.15 a.m. We hope you will enjoy and benefit from the sermon you will hear this morning. Now sit back and relax as you listen to a message by Senior Pastor Dr. Jason Lancaster. It's time to get your guard up today because the pastor is about to talk about money. Guard your wallets, zip your purses. It's really fascinating to me when the topic of money comes up because Jesus talked about it significantly, but we get very defensive. But I want you to know that there is this path to freedom. There's a path to freedom. You can stay locked in your safe if you want, but there's this path to freedom and it's called contentment. So it's not really a message about money, really. It's about your heart and contentment. Is God enough? Is what he gives you enough that you're content? That's where we're going. I often reflect upon my life with regard to money as a pastor. And so I look to other pastors and I try to compare myself to the way they are living. I knew of one pastor who drove a sweet BMW convertible and he had these beams imported from a long distance to put up in his home. I also knew another pastor who lived in basically a mansion. We're not talking about health and wealth guys, we're just talking about basic evangelical pastors. I also knew of another pastor who had his salary cut in half in order to give half his money to the building fund of the church. But I wasn't too impressed because he had to take another job in order to do that. Then I knew one pastor who drives a Porsche and I knew one pastor who drives a beat up car. I know of another pastor who lives in a mobile home with his family. I know of another pastor who scrapes by trying to supplement his income from outside work as he lives in a cramped apartment with his family. I know of another pastor who ties 90% of what he makes and lives on 10%. But once again, I'm not impressed because he makes millions. So as I'm looking at other pastors, this is what happens. I, I feel superior to some of them who are living ostentatiously. I'm like, <laughs> I'm glad I'm not living like that. And compared to some others, I feel guilty because they're living, you know, very frugal. And I feel guilty for the way I'm living. But what I've determined that, you know, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. It matters what I'm doing. I'm not accountable to God for them. I'm accountable for God for the way that I live and the way that I handle money, even as a pastor. And I look at your life. I mean, you can compare yourself to anybody in the village. You will find people that you will feel superior to because they're living large. They're driving the Tesla. They're living in a sweet house. You can say, ha, at least I'm not doing that. But you can also find some people that will make you feel guilty and put you to shame by the way they're giving in their generosity and frugality, right? So it's not about comparing yourself to other people. It's about you being accountable to God by the way you live and handle money. One of the things that's always surprised me about preaching is that I often wonder, do people change? 
I preach the word, do people actually change? Especially with regard to money. I mean, really, once we're all said and done, what do you think the percentages are that anybody in here is going to go out and do anything differently? You would say, that's probably pretty low. So I'm looking at you as an individual and say, look, are you open right now to hear from God's word where he's speaking to you that you are at least open and willing to go and do something different with your money based upon the word of God? Let's just all be open and consider that, all right? Let's let the Holy Spirit speak to us and it may even alter the way we'd live. And the way we're going to do that is looking at this passage in Hebrews. You can look at Hebrews chapter 13, 5, and 6. I'll read it to you again. Hebrews 13, 5, and 6 is make sure that your character or your life is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor desert you or forsake you. So that we say confidently, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? These two verses seem to combat two tendencies that rise up in all of us. Love of money, fear of man. And the Hebrews context is unique because they are facing again this idea that humans are persecuting them, taking their stuff, and perhaps even trying to kill them for their faith. And the same solution to their love of money and the fear of man is the same solution for us of the love of money and the fear of man. And that's where we're going today. It's really simple. Two verses. I think you can stick with me. Let's do it. Verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Or another translation is keep your lives free from the love of money. Every single person in here, I'm sure, has struggled from time to time with the love of money. It makes us happy. It makes us feel secure. But time and time again, you will see the love of money is renounced in Scripture and the consequences are significant. So let's just do this together. Let's do a quick flyby in the Bible of what the love of money can do to our lives. The first thing it can do is the love of money can cause you to do foolish things that ruin and destroy you. I'm going to pop some verses up for you. 1 Timothy 6.9. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Perhaps some of you have followed get-rich schemes or pyramid schemes or a variety of other ways that you thought you were going to get rich quick and you have lost significant amounts of money. Maybe you were raised in a family where the money was just flying around everywhere and you saw money being loved and lost and you've seen the ruin. The second thing about the love of money can do, the love of money can lead to a variety of other evils. Love of money can lead to a variety of other evils. Consider 2 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And one of the evils that is connected to the love of money is sexual morality. You often see greed and sexual morality in lists in the Bible. They're very closely tied. And we have this stereotypical example in our culture of maybe a woman following a man for his money. 
or a man trying to gain a lot of money so he can woo the woman. But let's just bring it down to reality in the village. How can the love of money and sexual morality go hand in hand often in the village? Well, in the village, you will see a man and a woman who want to get married, but they don't want to lose their spouses who's dead pension or social security or income. And so what they'll do, they'll find a way around that and they'll find some pastor in the village who will spiritually marry them while not notifying the state or really anybody else so they can protect their income. So there we have sexual morality, <laughs> greed, lying, and deceit. You see how that works? It's the culture. The next thing, the love of money could cause you to walk away from the faith and even perish in hell. 2 Timothy 6.10, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people have actually loved money so much that they've turned away from Jesus. Jesus spoke about this reality in Matthew 6.24. He said, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some of you may wonder, can I love God and money at the same time? And the answer is no. And you may say, yes, I do. I love God and I love money. Well, the reality is you love money. Because Jesus says you can't serve both at the same time. You're either serving God or you're serving money. And another way the love of money can cause you to neglect others is it can cause you to neglect others within the body of Christ. I want to show you something in this passage, right? So, so look at Hebrews 13 again. I want you to notice in verse 1. It says, let the love of the brethren continue. In the Greek, that word love is Philadelphia. So far, so good. Verse 2 says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. The love here in the Greek word is the word philoxenia, which is speaking about the love of strangers. And then in verse 5, it talks about not loving money. And that's the word philagorus. So the idea is, if you don't keep yourself from philagorus, then you will not be very good at Philadelphia or philoxenia. You see, when you love money, you're unable to sufficiently love your brothers and sisters and strangers. Now we're going to get real, all right? We're going to try to think about how our love of money can hinder us from serving this body of Christ. How your love of money, which purchases things, and how those things can keep you from serving this body. I got this uh, idea from Randy Alcorn, and it, and it goes like this, all right? Let's say you buy a boat or a vacation home. Nothing wrong with a boat, nothing wrong with a vacation home. But what you'll notice is that once you buy these things, you feel obligated to use these things. And sometimes as you use these things, it hinders you from serving the body of Christ. So for example, excuse me, uh, can you be a teacher in Sunday school uh, during the winter? No, I'm sorry, that, that's skiing season. Okay, hey, can you sign up for this evangelism class over the summer? Ah, uh, that's boating season? Okay, okay, well, we really need you to be an usher in the fall. Oh, that's hunting season. 
And so if you're busy during the winter and you're busy during the summer and you're busy during the fall, oh, are you free during the spring? Can you serve the church in the spring? And you're like, oh, that's transition season. I, I finish up skiing. I get my boat ready for the summer. I reopen my vacation home and clean my guns. You see how this works? The love of money not only hurts you, but the love of money can hurt others. And you may wonder, well, I understand how that works for us, but what about the Hebrews? Didn't they do a good job of not loving money? Did not just too long ago, people were stealing their stuff and they, they were fine. They had joy with it. Well, what happened to them? Why is he telling them not to love money? They did a good job of not loving it. What has changed for them? Well, maybe they had their house taken away, stuff taken away, and maybe they got it back after some time. And the second time around, they don't want to lose it. And so they were experiencing what has been called this gnawing anxiety. Gnawing anxiety. I don't need to see a show of hands, but I'm wondering how many of you feel a gnawing anxiety with regard to money? Because you know money, you think, oh, it's going to give me security. And if I don't have enough, I'm anxious about not having enough to live on. And what if I actually live longer than my money? What then? Anxiety. Or I need some more stuff to feel secure. And what if I don't have enough money to buy the stuff? You have this gnawing anxiety. And you know what that feels like, right? So the issue is, what is the alternative to this gnawing anxiety, this love of money? Once again, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. Being content with what you have. Being content where you say, I have enough money, my house, my condo, my room, that's enough. My clothes, that's enough. My car, that's enough. Now, I just want to see a show of hands, and I know you're in here. How many of you really can say right now, financially speaking, that you're content? Show of hands, okay? All right. For those of you who just raised your hands, and you're saying, I am completely content financially. How many of you who just raised your hands are trying to acquire more things? Oops. Isn't that interesting how that works? It's not that you can't go and get certain things, but Paul has been pretty clear when he was said in Philippians 4.13, which is a great passage. So I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to have a lot, know what it is to be in need. I've learned to be secret of content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. And then 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, it's funny, when I've preached sermons like this before, people will kind of bring up these internal objections. And one of the internal objections is, it says, yeah, pastor, but what if my only pair of shoes has holes in them? Should I not buy another pair of shoes? 
is that really your issue? You probably have an orange pair of shoes for a certain outfit, a blue pair of shoes for a certain outfit, indoor shoes, outdoor shoes, racquetball shoes, tennis shoes, pickleball shoes, church shoes, shall I go on? And you open up your closet. I don't have any shoes to wear. Is that really your problem? We're called to be content with what we have. And when we're content, we can say, that's enough. I have enough. I don't need any more. Well, how can you live like that? How's that even possible? How can you get to a point where you say, I have enough? The answer is in verse five, once again. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. And here's the answer. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Do you realize you could be content? Here's the big revelation. Because you have God. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. Can I tell you something about God? who you have in Christ. Let me tell you about God. Well, God created the universe, owns it all, manages it all, sustains it all, and ordains it all. You have God. God knows everything and everyone and every detail of his creation intimately. You have God. God is more powerful than all the people on the earth put together. God is everywhere and sees everything. God is so holy and so righteous and so pure and so good. God is so loving and he sent his son Jesus down on the cross for your sins, rose from the dead. You have love poured out on you. God is working all things for your good. God cares for you in an intimate way and meets all your needs. So get this, we have the most all-powerful, all-providing, all-loving, all-holy, all-good, all-magnificent God who says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have God. And to be content is to realize that as long as you have God and whatever he chooses to provide is enough. As long as you have God and what he chooses to provide, that's enough. C.S. Lewis once said, he who has God and everything has no more than he who has God alone. You can be content once you realize you got God. And whatever he chooses to provide, it's all you need. Now, it's easy to say that and it's easy to believe that if you feel secure. But when you're having financial difficulties, it's really hard to believe this, right? Isn't it really hard to believe this when you get unexpected bills? Like, for example, my car has been in the shop for two weeks. They called me after a week. They said, it's ready. I drive down to Benton to pick it up, turn it on, and my dashboard's like a laser light show, you know? All these warning signs are on. I'm like, it's not fixed. They're like, whoops, not fixed. Guess we got to keep it longer. Keep it for another week. They call me and said, it's ready. I go down to pick it up yesterday. Turn it on. It shows that the gas is like empty. Like, I don't know what happened. Maybe they drove it around everywhere. So I had to rush to the gas station, putting gas in the car, which is so joyful to do right now, right? Putting gas in the car, 85 bucks, all right. Walking around to get into my car. And I notice, I hear this noise. And then I notice under my car is like this liquid flowing. I'm like, what is that? 
I reach down the sidewalk and touch it and smell it. Gasoline! The gas I just put in the car is now flowing everywhere under the car. I might as well have just taken it and just squirted it everywhere rather than in the car. So once again, take the car back. Still don't have a car. And it's at points like that, you know when those things happen, where you have to say, God, as long as I have you and what you choose to provide, that's enough. It's enough. Now take that reality and now bring it into another dimension of not only the love of money, but now the fear of a man. For all of us fear other people. And the same solution to the love of money is the same solution to the fear of man. So let's finish up our passage. Verse 6. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my help, helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Well, the Hebrews were having their property confiscated at one time. And now they are tempted to rely upon other treasures. But our author is building up their confidence to stand firm during trying times. It's if it's true, if the Lord is never going to leave us and never going to forsake us, and the Lord is our helper, what can human beings do to us? And you can say, well, they can kill us. They can steal our stuff. They can talk bad about us. But ultimately... They cannot take your salvation away. Ultimately, you can live forever with Jesus. So ultimately, they can't harm you. So what we can say when we have this struggle with the love of money, we can say God and what he chooses to provide is enough. And when we feel ourselves with this tendency to fear men, we can say God and what he chooses to provide is enough because he is our helper. You see how the two of those can be combined. The Lord and what he chooses to provide in help and provision is enough. Ultimately, lack of funds is not going to do a sin or the attacks of men and women will not do a sin because God and what he chooses to provide is enough. So this comes to the part where we try to think about, all right, so it's what it says. What are we supposed to do? Because I don't know about you, but I'll probably will have this tendency to wake up tomorrow and have a struggle to value God above all else. That will be my struggle. And yet, I want to value God above all else. So if you wake up tomorrow and you have this struggle that says, God, you are enough, and you have a hard time saying that, and you find your heart being drawn to stuff and to things, let me encourage you with a certain verse that helped me and is helping me that I've learned many years ago, a, a prayer from John Piper. It comes from Psalm 119.36. And this prayer says this, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. So if you wake up tomorrow and you find your heart wanting stuff, Pray this prayer and climb my heart to your testimonies, to your word that shows me the value I have in Jesus, salvation in Jesus, grace in Jesus. And climb my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. It's a good prayer. The second thing 
if you want to combat this love of money and live in contentment? It says, store up treasures in heaven and be rich toward God. Store up treasures in heaven and be rich toward God. And one of the passages that you know is Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Did you know that giving can actually fuel contentment? Giving can actually combat greed. When you're giving to your church, when you're giving to missionaries, when you're giving to the poor, when you're giving to a variety of other ministries, that is a way that you can fuel your contentment and at the same time combat greed. So if you're having some struggles right now, here's the deal. Too many times we wait and say, I'm going to wait until my heart gets right and then I'm going to give. Good in theory. But here it's saying, how about you give... And then your heart will follow. Oh, did you see it there? It says, do not store up your child's treasure on earth, on and on and on. It says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So often we can say, hey, I can give and my heart will follow. Because think about this. If you invest in the stock market, right, which is doing really good right now. If you invest in the stock market, your heart's going to be really caring about what your stocks are doing, right? Why? Because your money's there. But if you put your money, look at this, in missionaries or Teen Challenge, right, right? When you get their newsletters and their emails, you're going to want to read them. Why? Because you're putting your money there. Where you put your heart, your money, your heart will go after. See how that works? And the last thing I want to say, remember God's discipline and respond. God wants you totally and completely. He is a jealous God. And when we find ourselves getting caught up in the love of money, he will discipline us. He will get our attention. And he'll do this in a variety of ways. Some ways may surprise you. One year, it was a miracle I got a tax refund. That's a joke because pastors usually don't get tax refunds. We don't pay much federal taxes, pay a ton of social security taxes, but not much federal tax. But one year I got a tax refund because guess what? The federal government started to pay me for my kids. Every kid I had, they gave me some money. So I figured I can have a lot of kids and get rich. My wife is not convinced. But anyway, this year I got this, I got this huge, it was just huge to me. And I was like, I was all excited. I was feeling good. I'm, I'm going to the bank. I'm going to put it in there. And I, I drive up to this little thing and I can't see the teller, but I'm putting it in there. I can talk to the teller. And this guy is walking by. And I'm thinking, I hope this guy didn't come to, to rob me. I finally got money. And so he's walking by me and he, he's right there by my window. He looks at me, he's like, are you Kevin? I'm like, no, I'm not Kevin. Get away, get away. And he's talked, he's like, Jesus is Lord. Yes, he's Lord. Leave me alone. And then he's like, did you know that we've got to spend our time telling others about 
Jesus. That's what true treasures are all about, jewels in our crown. And it's like God was getting my attention at the bank. And I went home and told my family, I said, family, I went to the bank and I, I saw an angel. It wasn't really an angel. I don't know what he was, but God was getting my attention to show what truly matters. And I know some of you right now may be going through some hard times financially. I do realize that. Perhaps it's God getting your attention, drawing your eyes and your heart to him and what he chooses to provide. And I know some of you have made some big mistakes financially in the past. And you can live in that guilt or you can find forgiveness in Jesus and say, God, you and what you choose to provide is enough. And I know some of you have this gnawing anxiety. Will there be enough? Will I have enough? And the answer is, yep. God and what he chooses to provide is enough. And you can rest in him. We hope you enjoyed this message. It was preached recently at Village Bible Church. You can hear this message or let others know about it by visiting our website at vbchsv.org or call us at 922-0404. Meanwhile, have a blessed day as you walk along the way, guided by God's Word.